message was given at Hope Church of Knoxville. For more information about Hope Church, please visit our website at hopeknox.com. Get to Acts 12. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the first section of this um, before we go into our passage, or before we go into our sermon. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer was... um, But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know what was being, uh, being done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. And when he had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them on its own accord. And they went out along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And Peter came to himself and said, Now I'm sure that the Lord hath sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from the Jewish people we're expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary and the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and where they were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy... She did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying it it was an angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then they departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was, no, there was a little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the, the, the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went out down from Judea of Caesarea and spent time there. I'm not sure if you guys saw in the news uh, this, this past week. It was kind of interesting. Um, I'm not sure what part of the country it was, but uh, a man, um, young, a young man, probably in his 40s, I would say. So he hadn't gotten to the, the old age of Chris yet, but he's still pretty young. <laughs> young, young guy, um, he randomly, his heart randomly start, stopped beating. So they rushed him to the hospital and um, they tried to resuscitate him. They couldn't uh, resuscitate him. So he actually um, died there on the hospital bed and was dead for 40 minutes. 
And they were getting ready to put him into the body bag and take him away. His family had a, a daughter and a son. Uh, and they were getting ready to put him in a body bag. And his son started praying over him. And the result of this was uh, he was brought back to life. All of a sudden they noticed a heartbeat on the monitor after 40 minutes of being considered uh, brain dead. And uh, he came back and he is now healthy. He's got a pacemaker in and a, um, made a Good Morning America. Um, so kind of a big story in the news. So I want to begin by asking the question, why is it that some people like this have a miraculous event and are saved? Yet we all know stories of of people who are dear to us, who possibly have meant a lot to us, something that happens to them. Maybe they don't have the same story. Maybe we've prayed over this person for a great deal of time and they end up dying. Or they end up uh, suffering a great calamity, if you want to think of it that way. Or even uh, more centrally located in Knoxville, how is it... Something terrible like uh, the sex trafficking scheme could take place, especially in light of uh, involving two church members. How is it that something uh, terrible like that can take place? And how is it that churches will pray over these things and pray over these people, yet bad things still happen? Really get into the question of the problem of evil. How is it that good things happen to bad people? And how is it that the, the wicked prosper? How is it that they do everything wrong and we're praying and we're working hard and yet they thrive and we struggle? To answer that question today, I think when we come to this passage, we're going to see the answer to that. We're going to see why is it that sometimes God decides to intervene and God does a miraculous thing, yet other times He does not. In order to see that, if you guys remember last week, it ended with Barnabas and Peter. There was a, a great famine that took place. Uh, Barnabas and Paul, there was a great famine that took place. And they saw a church that was in need, so what did they do? They, they go down and they start taking the, the food to them, and they're taking the supplies to this church. Well, we don't really hear anything about what happened while they were down there. Immediately, we transition into this new story. So we don't know what happened while they were in Jerusalem. We now come to the point where it starts talking about this great persecution. Early in the life of the church and throughout its history, it's been known for being persecuted. Believers were persecuted. Um, they are not only persecuted by the Romans, but they're also persecuted by the Jews. Um, it begins with Herod um, coming to James and killing James with a sword. But the Jews are celebrating because they see them as heretics. And they see them as people who have distorted the gospel. Or distorted the Old Testament narrative, if you want to think of it that way. Not the gospel, they've distorted the message of God. So now you have the Romans and the Jews working alongside each other, and it begins like this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some of those who belonged to the church. Or who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and said that it pleased the Jews. And he also proceeded to arrest Peter. There's no indication from this passage, as Jason was talking about earlier with the prosperity gospel, there's no indication from this passage that James was doing anything wrong. There's no sign that he wasn't faithful or there was no indication that he wasn't obedient to the Lord or doing everything that he should. He was out sharing the good news. He was out faithfully being a part of this church. By every indication, James was doing everything that he should have. And what happens? He gets put to death. Makes me think of this passage in Ecclesiastes 7.15. In my vain life, I have seen everything. 
There is the righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is the wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. So why is it that the righteous man is put to death and the evil person prolongs his life continuing to do evil? The next chapter, it goes on to say this. Solomon says this. There is vanity that takes place on earth, that there is righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. Solomon says this is an aspect of life that doesn't make sense to him, if you want to think of it that way. That that which should happen to the wicked people in the world is happening to the righteous. And that which should happen to the righteous people of the world is happening to the wicked. Why is it that this is taking place? Why do the righteous suffer? Why is it that the people who pray and are faithful sometimes go through difficult times? Why is it that the families who long and pray for children sometimes cannot have children? Why is it that the man who works very hard to get a job gets laid off? He's doing everything that he should. Why do these things happen? Why is it that the church, when they should be attacking things in culture and they're they're preaching against these things, why is it that bad things happen to them? We find our answer here. James was going about doing the will of the Lord and he died. He was put to death. One great Christian scholar says this, James knew God was in control even up to the moment when the sword came down on his head. James was being faithful, yet he was trusting in the fact that God was in control of the situation. God was working good out of that which the world has made evil. Yet he was still in control. So when these difficult trials come up, when you work hard and difficult things arise, take confidence in the fact that God is in control, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when great tragedies strike, know that God's steady hand is in control. Now here's the opposite side of the story. These are really two stories in one, if you want to think of it that way. So James is put to death. Now this is what Herod says. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. All indications up to this point would be that as soon as this festival is over, what's going to happen? Peter is going to be put to death just like James was going to be put to death. Peter and James, they're both faithfully serving the church. Yet, we know from reading this passage and we will see from examining this passage, God spares one and yet other one, it pleased him to see him die because it brought him glory. Do we have an answer of why? That brought him greater glory, or why that was in the will of the Lord? We don't. But was he in control? Absolutely. When we look at events like the cross, 
It doesn't make sense to us. Why did the greatest evil in all of history, how is it that God was in control of that? How do I know He was in control of that? Because if salvation was planned in eternity, this had to take place. It was inevitable. It wasn't like God didn't see it coming or that it was His plan B. No, He is working all these things out, all these details together for His good. We see one small glimpse of history. When we hear about the sex trafficking scheme, we don't think, how is it possible that God is going to bring glory to Himself from this? We see one small inch of history. We don't see the big picture. I brought it up in the past about how uh, Nate St. Jim Elliott and Roger Udarian, how they went to share the gospel with this culture and they were speared to death. And all seems to take place and all point you to the fact they wasted their lives. You know, they went to share the gospel there. But if all we saw was that small section of history, we would miss the whole story. The first time they landed, they were speared to death. They never got to share the gospel. We don't know how God does this. Yet several years later in this story, Steve Saint and his aunt go back and share the gospel and the whole village is converted to Christ. We know so little and yet we point the finger and question God. When great tragedies take place, we may not always know why they take place. But rest assured that God is in control. Your only other option is that God didn't see it coming. Where is your comfort in that? There's no peace in that. There's no comfort in knowing that it's all vain and pointless. There is great comfort in knowing that He is in control and working it out for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. Peter's situation looks far worse than James' situation. James started off with him being put to death by the sword. Now Peter is surrounded by an entire It says how many people were around him. He had four squads of soldiers guarding him. And then if you go down to verse 6, it says he was put into chains. And people were guarding him the entire time. It sounds like James' fate is doomed. He just saw, he just saw, or it sounds like Peter's fate is doomed. He just saw James put to death. And now they're waiting for this feast to be over with. And then he was also going to be put to death. How did the church then respond to these two tragedies? Look at the next section. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. What did they do when tragedy struck? What did they do when a great calamity struck upon them? The people they loved were being hurt? They started to pray. They started to pray for these people. It's likely that they were praying for James as well. The text doesn't clarify that. But they've been in prayer for Peter. It's likely that the other member of their church they were praying for. They devoted themselves to prayer. 
In our current situation, this culture, I keep bringing up this story because it's so relevant in our current context. We need to be be in prayer for all the victims in this. With sex trafficking, we need to be in prayer for the church, for all the families hurt, hurt by this. It's a real issue. I read uh, recently just some t- statistics to think about. Over 2 million children are exploited into sex trafficking a year. One in six children that are missing are likely being trafficked, or trafficked according to one, uh, one study. This should hurt. This should bring to light the fact that this is a real issue going on in our culture. This should help us long for the return of Christ. But it also should draw us to prayer like it did this church, to pray for Peter and James. Sometimes we make light of prayer. This church saw it as a means of calling God to action. They saw it as a wartime walkie-talkie instead of a cruise intercom. See what happens as a result of this. Are we praying before we go into this? Are we praying when tragedies strike? Are you praying for family members? Are you praying for, for those who are hurting? If we think and look outside of our cultural bubble and we think, uh, you know, really look outside of all of the United States, we're kind of blind to things that happen in the rest of the world. But in Sudan, there's been a declared civil war from the Muslim North and the Christian South. Since about 1984 when I was born. And, and every day they wake up not knowing if they're going to be put to death. In this culture, women have their breasts cut off so they can't breastfeed their children. Crops are burned so that they can't feed their families. This is a real issue. This should hurt when you think about this. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're just as close as blood. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so many times we don't even think to pray for other nations. Be in prayer for them. Hurt with them. Their struggles are our struggles. What happens in Peter's situation? Now Herod was about to bring him out. On that very night. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains two centuries before the door were guarding the prison. Peter is likely hours away from his death. And what's he doing? He's sleeping. How can you sleep in a time like that knowing that in several hours you're likely going to die? You know how you sleep during a time like that? Because you know the fact that God is in control. And He is working all these details out. There's rest and peace in times like this. Famous quote, I couldn't find who it's actually from. But a famous quote says this, Sometimes the Lord calms the storm. Sometimes He lets the storm rage and calms His child. I think that's what's going on in this situation. The storm is very much there. It's still there. He's hours away from his death. There's no indication that Peter knew his life was going to be saved. Yet, God has given him an incredible peace. God overcomes darkness with life. 
And then after a great work in creation, he rests. There is peace and rest in the firm, strong hand of the Lord. So that when culture and the world threatens your life, what's the worst thing they can do to you? What's the worst thing they could do? Take your life? You immediately go into the presence of the Lord. Every attack they can put against you falls. Because God is in control. And it's not just that He's in control. As we get into this passage a little bit further, we're going to see the hope and the confidence in this. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood up next to him, and the light shined in the cell, or shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went up, or went out and followed him. And he did not know what was being done. He didn't know. And the angel was real. But he thought that he was seeing a vision. And when he had passed the first and the second garden, they came out to the iron gate of the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. Notice first of all that this was a miraculous event. James didn't have a miraculous event save him. And honestly, after this, Peter's not going to have a miraculous event. He only has one. An angel comes, redeems him, and saves him. We don't know why. But then it tells us he left him. So then Peter is called to live out his life. Ever so often God may intervene and do a great thing. But in the meantime we are called to be faithful and to be wise. And that's what Peter does. As soon as the gate opens, he turns around and sees and he takes off running. He doesn't say boldly or arrogantly, you know, God's just going to save me. It doesn't matter what I can do. I can be arrogant and prideful. I can go back into the cell and and do these things. No, God has called him to be wise, to use his brain, to think through what he should do. God just saved him. Now he is leaving. There are times that we pray for a miraculous event, but there are times we're also called to think wisely and make decisions. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from the Jewish people who were expecting. When he realized this, he went out of the house and he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. When many were gathered together they were, and were praying, and when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And, she kept, uh, and they kept saying it was an angel. Think about this. They didn't expect Peter to be redeemed. They were still praying and hoping They were shocked just as much as Peter was. Peter gets out and he's like, apparently that wasn't a vision. He's shocked. So then he runs and goes and tells all those who are praying for him. What happens? They're shocked. They don't even believe Rhoda. They say, you're seeing a vision. They've been praying. But they didn't realize this was how the Lord was going to answer. It wasn't that they weren't faithful or they didn't believe their prayers. They didn't understand all the things that God was working together to accomplish His will. 
They saw a small glimpse. And they were praying and hoping. They had no idea how it was all going to work out. Because their minds are finite. And God's was infinite. So what did Peter do? He's knocking at the door. They don't believe it. He keeps knocking. (laughs) Application from this. Something miraculous comes in your life. Go knock at Jeremy's door at midnight until he answers. If he doesn't answer, keep ringing. He's at work, so never mind. <laughs> There's a lot of people here who would be at work. No, that's not an application from this section. <laughs> Let's keep going. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord brought him out of prison. And he said to them, tell these things to James. This is James, the brother of Jesus, not the James that was just killed. To James and to the brothers. Then they departed and went to another place. He doesn't act irrational and go and say, hey, I'm going to go back there and preach the gospel. These people are trying to kill me just so I get arrested once again. No, he says, go and tell the brothers about this great thing the Lord has done. He doesn't decide, hey, I can do anything I want now because the Lord has done a great thing in my life. Think about the situation. This is very similar to Jesus' situation when he's being tempted in the wilderness. Satan comes to him and says, fall off this temple or jump off this temple. Angels will rescue you. Very much true. Jesus can do anything He wants. He can send down a legion of angels to save Him. He can step off the temple and be completely fine. But how does Jesus respond? Do not put the Lord to test. So is God in control? Absolutely. Should we put Him to test because at times He does great things? No. It reminds me of another uh, situation when I used to work... uh, Oftentimes with, uh, with missionaries, when I was working with this mission agency, we would um, encounter a whole lot of missionaries, and ever so often we'd meet some, and they're like, the, especially younger ones who just, uh, they're really radical as soon as they decide they want to go into the mission field. So a lot of times they're like, I'm not going to get a job, I'm not going to do anything, I'm just going to go and pray, and the Lord's going to provide, and we're going to go out here and do all these things, and, um, and I'm not, not going to take money, some of them want to be like George Mueller, and never ask for money to help them on the mission field, and they do, and say really crazy things. Yet we read in Scripture, those who do not work are not worthy to eat, and they think that they can do these things, and it sounds really spiritual. I'm just going to trust God. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to trust God and He's going to provide. Have you ever thought maybe trusting God that He's going to provide means going and applying for a job? Asking that person that you're considering to marry rather than thinking that somehow or another someone is going to fall from the sky and ask you to be married. Maybe it involves you doing something. Obeying the will of the Lord. Living out your life in light of the Gospel. We ask for all these miraculous things. We want an exodus-like experience where God separates the waters. But all too often our life looks like Ruth, where God just puts the right person at the right time. And we're called to live faithfully through Him. And live according to Scripture for Him. Now when the day came, there was a little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. 
And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. The guards didn't know what happened to him. Peter didn't know what happened to him. Mary and all those praying didn't know what happened to him. All Herod knew was this frustrated him because he was trying to exterminate these people. His will was to crush the church. He desired to rule over them. He didn't like this new uprising that was saying that Christ was Lord and not Caesar. So he's seeking to kill them. He's seeking to put a strong hand and crush them. But what happens? Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king of um, Chamberlain, they asked for peace because the country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod was put on his royal robes. He took his seat upon the throne and delivered an an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of God and not the voice of man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Makes me think back to Psalm 1 about how the nations are raging against the Lord. How they're seeking to to crush and overcome His people. And what's it say? The Lord sits on His throne and laughs. Herod may desire to sit here and conquer his people and crush his people. He thinks that he is God over all and can kill anyone he wants. He thinks he's exterminating Christianity. But what happens? His strong hand meets the Lord and he is put to death. This passage is sandwiched together with with Herod at the beginning thinking that he is Lord and he is controlling all things, but in the end, he is crushed. So where do we find the hope in this passage for terrible situations? Why is it that James suffered and yet Peter did not? What happens to those who suffer unjustly? What happens when the wicked prosper? We know their fate is similar to that of Herod's. So when we see all these wicked people in the world doing these wicked things to to those who are innocent, and we long for the day that Christ would come back and make right all things, we long for all these terrible tragedies to stop, the 9-11s of the world to stop, we know that one day God is going to make all things right. Right. The wicked will be judged. They will be crushed much like Herod was crushed. Our hope is in the fact that Christ will return. He has defeated sin and He will return. And all those who do not bow the knee to Christ, they will be crushed like Herod. All the wrong in the world is going to be made right. The innocent will be blessed. 
The meek will be blessed. And as Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake, for theirs is the kingdom. Are you suffering unjustly? Are you striving to live faithfully for the Lord? You may struggle for a period of time. Know that it's not pointless. Know it doesn't mean that the Lord is angry with you. Know that God will one day make right these things. And may, as a church, we be passionate about making right these things in our culture as well. May we have the same heart that God has for the innocent, for those who don't have a voice. May we go into our culture and speak truth and declare that Christ has come, restoring all things. God is bringing all things back under the rule of Christ. Where sin has tainted this world and made it wrong, we are now bringing heaven to earth and showing the world what it looks like when Christ rules through His church. The result of the story, Herod doesn't triumph. We would think that he's exterminating all these people and the Jews are celebrating. We'd think that he is the one who should be celebrating this story, that he's got the, the strong hand. He seems like the mighty one in this story. But look what happens. All his plots and all his points, they're pointless. All his efforts collapse. He thinks he's exterminating the church. But look how our story ends. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And, Bar- and, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they have completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. That even when the world tries to overcome the church, they fail. The Lord sits on his throne and laughs. So as the psalmist says, kiss the Son. May that be our heart. May we submit under the rule of Christ, lest He should be angry. May we kiss the Son. May we submit to the rule of Christ. Have you submitted to the rule of Christ? Have you bowed the knee to Christ? If you want to try to make sense of this world and why all this evil takes place, we may never know all the answers. We don't claim to know them. But what we do know is all those who are in Christ Jesus have the comfort of knowing that God is with them. That God is in control. Maybe you need to repent of your sins today and turn to Christ. Because this passage is not about Herod, or Peter, or James. This passage is about the God who redeems. May you find in Him a Redeemer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for our time together today.